Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to thank you for taking time today to be with us as we provide useful information and insights to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get more, better broadband everywhere it needs to be in the U.S. Today I'm broadcasting from the New York State Broadband Summit. This is the first one of these little gatherings that um, the state of New York is having. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot of excitement uh, that's happening here around the project, uh, various projects actually in, in broadband. And so we want to get a look at what's happening, uh, who's doing what, and, and what kind of progress they're making. I want to also look at some lessons we can learn about coordinating local efforts with um, state initiatives and state resources in order for everyone to, uh, to come out a big winner. Now, today our guest is um, the program director for the New York State Broadband Program Office, Dave Salway, and he has actually, he and I have been on a, a panel before discussing uh, broadband and small business issues, and Dave, it's great to see you again, and welcome to the show. Great to be here, Craig. Thanks for having me. Sure. So let's kick off by, you know, giving us a good over, overall description of what uh, the the broadband program office is and is is about, and then let's jump right into you know some of your you know your successes and ongoing challenges. Terrific, it sounds good. So program office is basically the single point of contact, Craig, for the for the state of New York when it comes to broadband issues. We serve as an advisor to the governor, the legislature, and, and certain policy issues related to the broadband. And we also um, have oversight over the governor, Governor Cuomo's Connect New York program, which provided $25 million in funding for broadband efforts across the state. And we were fortunate enough to have a governor in New York that really, really values broadband and knows the value of broadband in terms of economic development. And that $25 million Connect New York program has provided funding for 18 projects across the state, mm -hmm. public safety included, um, a lot of regional projects, and a lot of cooperation from the regional councils. The governor is a big proponent of uh, the regional council um, way of empowering local communities to really decide on the priorities for their region. And working with them, we were able to provide coverage through Connect New York for about 150,000 New Yorkers that don't have access now, mm -hmm. which is a, which is certainly a step in the right direction, you know, as far as where we want to go. Mm -hmm. So, what's been your, you know, your big wins to date? Uh, and also, were you part of the uh, the broadband stimulus program? Are you guys connected with that at all? Yeah, my office actually is funded through the uh, the mapping funds, which were granted through NTIA, which we're very fortunate to receive. Um, in, in New York State, my office um, exists under the Empire State Development, the Economic Development Agency for New York. Our mapping team is now in the information technology side of the house, so they're in ITS. So we're very close partners with the data collection effort, and some of the funding that went to them to do to do the mapping um, efforts really also funded the efforts of my office as well on the program side. Mm -hmm. so some of the capacity building um, functions, some of the local development act efforts, and particularly the grant administration for Connect New York are being funded from that grant. Okay. So, but now, uh, again, make sure I'm clear on the timeline. Which came first, the the governor's grant or the stimulus grant? Stimulus certainly came okay. first. That was very our, our kickstart into what we've been doing. In 2009, we saw the stimulus come from, from the president's ARA program. New York State received about $160 million total 
that didn't go to the, to the state directly, that went to projects across the state. Mm -hmm. um, but it really put our, our mapping and data collection efforts into overdrive and started many of the activities that we do. We do so many events and you know things like the summit um, in regional areas have really been a, a great way to start partnerships, a great, great way to keep the, keep the momentum going as you go to event to event. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to actually have a uh, surprise guest uh, coming on a little bit later in the show that will talk about public safety. So, because uh, you had mentioned that initially, yes. and I do want our audience to stick around uh, for that uh, discussion. Um, so, you know, I, I run into a lot of folks that are responsible for planning at the at the state level. What are some words of advice for kind of keeping a track of all this thing? Because it must at some point be like herding cats to uh, to keep all these bazillion projects moving in some sort of sync. How did you bring order or at least instill order from the get-go? Uh, and, and how do you maintain some semblance of order and coordination? That that's a great question, and and of course we're still you're still working on that to this day. But we've really been able to get a lot of cooperation by engaging the providers early, and I, you know that's not always an easy task because sometimes that becomes an adversarial relationship um, at, at, at times. It can mm -hmm. be, I should say. We've I think really had a lot of success in bringing them on board early, bringing the local stakeholders on early, and I think the summit is really the culmination of all those efforts because we have so many stakeholders here today. So, you know, in terms of getting back to your question, Craig, about um, the, the advice, it's really just starting those partnerships early. I mean, three years ago, we couldn't have had this summit. We didn't have those relationships mm -hmm. in, 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 in place at that time. But now through Connect New York, through the governor's involvement and leadership, through bringing the providers on board early, the mapping effort is almost 100% um, participation. Mm -hmm. We've got so many providers that are applying for grants for Connect New York. And, um, and and also, you know, a big provider in New York State is Time Warner, and they haven't typically applied for public funding. They were a grant recipient for us as well, and I think that's, a, you know, that, that's sort of a sign of success for us because we want to make sure that we have the providers that are applying for those funds if we're going to have them available. So it's, it's been it's, it's been very successful in that mm -hmm. regard. Now, when you say 100% participation, do you mean by the providers giving information, or who's the hundred percent? Sure, the the providers. Um, it's, a, it's basically voluntary compliance with the with the mapping program. I mean, it's, we encourage them to, to to provide the data. That's the only way we can know where we are. Um, is if we have good data. Mm -hmm. And by bringing them on board early, we we got good data in the beginning. There's always improvements to be made in in, in some of the mapping data we have. But when I say hundred percent, there's very very few providers that we don't have coverage data from. And our mapping team has done a great job in looking at that data and being able to manipulate it and apply some biases because we know it's overstated in some cases to give us a real clear picture of what's going on. We had, um, just to give you an example, for Connect New York, we had uh, about 90 million in funding requests, almost 100 million in fact, or 25 million in grants. So we had a very, very good response rate in terms of who was looking for funding. And uh, unfortunately, we'll be able to choose to choose the best best grant proposals for you know going up to the twenty five million dollar mark. Mm -hmm. Now, this is a you know a, a important issue for a lot of us. You know, you talked about um, uh, compensating for the biases in the data received from uh, the providers. How exactly do you do that? Because this really gets a lot of people going. Is that it? You know, how do you how do you tell what's real and what not? So, what do you do? We we are we're still working in that I might say at that from the beginning, 
But one of the things, and just to put it in perspective, the, the way the methodology works from the NTIA in terms of how we count coverage and availability is if there's a resident in a census block, and I know this gets into some of some of the you know census terms, mm -hmm. but if there's one resident in that census block that has coverage, the entire census block is marked as, as having coverage and it's, and it's fully served. And that, of course, creates a bias, particularly in rural areas, particularly in New York as well, because you, we have very, very uh, you know, low housing densities in some of our rural areas. So it tends to be overcounted if you have just portions of that, that census block that are, that are covered. Mm -hmm. So our mapping team, and I wouldn't be the one to explain the methodology. It wasn't simple, but we had a, a statistician and we had some you know, algorithms that they went through. I can't begin to describe it, but it's pretty scientific from what I can tell from my mm -hmm. layman's view of it. And to apply some you know, numbers adjustment to really get to the numbers that we, you know, we're fairly comfortable with. Now, did they um, create the algorithms or they found algorithms to be able to apply to the situation? Based on the, the location of some of the switches, some of the equipment, they're able to, to do some probability uh, numbers and then looking at the, you know, the, the various numbers in our rural areas in terms of how many of those in those census blocks actually are covered. They applied a statewide, uh, you know, bias, and were able to adjust the numbers, which resulted in the number of about a million people in New York that don't have access to coverage at the speeds that we define as broadband. Hmm. And, that, and those those one million are, you know, all across the state in terms of where they're located. Our North Country, for those that are not familiar with, in New York, is the Adirondack Park. Mm -hmm. Very, very challenging terrain. Very, you know, a lot of restrictions from the APA because it's a, it's a it's a park. It's a state park. And uh, those are some of the challenges we're actually uh, talking about today. Mm -hmm. The uh, did the uh, did the incumbents have any kind of issue with this weeding process of the of the biases and all that kind of stuff? I mean, because sometimes yeah. I think you know, in, in talking to people in other states, this is one of those always potential for contentious kind of relationship. Um, how did you how did you get past all of that? Sure, uh, and to keep them all on board, because 100% is pretty, pretty amazing, actually. And 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 the credit really goes to our, our mapping team for really forging those alliances early, and we've been able to to extend that, you know, those partnerships when we look when we're looking at our grant programs as well. We're particularly sensitive, um, Craig, to the to the overbuilding issue that providers have, and and that that simply is going into areas that are already served by incumbents, and particularly with with public funding going in there and, and understand the sensitivity for not wanting to compete with, with, with providers or, you know, with public money. So we incorporated that into the Governors Connect New York program by having a validation process and also a, a, a chance for those providers that are incumbents to actually challenge some of the service service areas that were being proposed. Mm -hmm. I think that brought us to a number that we were really comfortable with seeing in terms of the, the response rate and the applications and also um, alleviated some of those concerns that some of the public money was going for overbuild efforts. Mm -hmm. Now, yesterday on the show, um, I had the uh, National League of Cities, uh, one of their senior associates, and we talked for a while about a number of the challenges that face uh, these projects. And the two things that she pointed out were um, planning and financing networks. So as you guys have now brought this summit together and you've got folks from what all over the state that are involved yeah. in projects and so forth, how do you help them or do you have ways of helping them with the planning side and then we can talk about the, the funding challenge? Sure. Let's start with the planning. We have and we have ten regional councils in New York State and they're in varying degrees of, of you know making progress for the regional plans. The governor asked each region to put forth a strategic plan, and part of that included broadband for those that included broadband in a strategic plan. 
So we actually assisted them in many cases with providing the data that, that showed them what the availability was in those regions. They put forth a plan um, for the economic development in the entire region, and then we looked at the broadband plans each one of those councils had. We go back to the North Country, for example, a big part of their strategic plan overall for economic development included broadband. So we had, we had people that would go in there and work with them, you know, from the program office, from our agency that would help them with, you know, determine which areas were priorities. Mm -hmm. The regional councils, you know, included a mix of elected leaders, uh, some, you know, university presidents, all, all different sectors. So they came together and really determined the priorities for their regions. And that was the key point. I'm glad you brought that up, mm -hmm. is that the, the, the municipalities, the, the regions really determined the priorities. We set the agenda in terms to, you know, what, the, what, what tech, uh, technological, uh, you know, infrastructure is already in place. Mm -hmm. They set the agenda in terms of which, which regions are priorities. Okay. And then, the, then what happens after that? Is there some sort of coordination of state resources to help based on the priority? Exactly. And, and looking at, you know, the areas that are truly unserved first, we were, we were trying to hit a target speed. Um, we chose six and one and a half, a little bit above the FCC minimums, and looking at which areas had no service first and then trying to raise the bar a bit in some of the areas. And some of the projects, Craig, also include technology that were scalable. We, wouldn't, we wanted to hit those minimum speeds as a minimum. Mm -hmm. We wanted to also be able to scale up. Because as you know, the, you know fiber, fiber uh, infrastructure is certainly more conducive to economic development and really hits the economic developers' you know, principles for, for driving that type of, uh, you know, mm -hmm. type of economic uh, improvement. So in a general sense, you know, I'm sure you've been talking with the, some of the attendees here at the summit, what are the primary expectations of broadband? I mean, what, what do the communities seem to expect broadband to do for them? In, in rural areas particularly, because we have a lot of regions, New York State is, is you know, by area, is, is primarily rural. We have a lot, a lot of urban centers, but mm -hmm. it's really bringing the technology to the areas that are in rural parts of the other state in, in large sense. We had uh, Tony Collins here from Clarkson University who spoke about all the opportunities that education has to offer and the ability to retain students after they graduate. We lose so many students after they graduate from New York schools because of the lack of technology or the lack of infrastructure to really do good things with economic through academic development and so forth. Telemedicine is another big part of that as mm -hmm. well in terms of all the, the health care initiatives and the electronic health records. And I know we're going to talk about public safety in a minute. A critical element of, of the New York plan is really to make sure that we are part of the national uh, network that's coming on board. We tried for some grant money back in the, in the days of the era funding. As you know, we're going to talk to Robert Legrand in a second. He was very instrumental in but we're, we really want to make sure that everything is coordinated. We, we don't want to look at the siloed way of funding anymore, which mm -hmm. it used to be, which was you know, e-rate for schools and telemedicine projects. We really want to build one network right the first time, include public safety in all the sectors, and make sure all those needs are met. Mm -hmm. Now, with the you mentioned students leaving. Uh, are you talking about leaving like the rural areas to go to New York City or just leaving the state entirely? In a lot of cases, leaving the state entirely wow. um, because they're from a rural area. They, we, we don't retain enough, enough students after they graduate, really, and some of that is limited to because of the technology that we have out there. Just, it's not conducive to economic development if there's not a, you know, a vibrant broadband connection in those areas. Mm -hmm. And Tony Collins has been instrumental in trying to, you know, keep those students, uh, you know, retain them in the areas that, uh, you know, that surround the school, which mm -hmm. is very rural. Okay. Because, I mean, that's that's definitely a, a big issue is the retention, you know, trying to keep the, the student population, you know, close to home or returning to home after, uh, after all is said and done. Now, on the telemedicine side, um, one of the things that uh, Joya Joya uh, Kaladini is the was our guest yesterday. You know, we talked about 
telemedicine doesn't necessarily, as important as it is, doesn't necessarily occupy sort of top of mind. Um, where do you think that discussion sits in in, in um, New York? Are people thinking a lot about it, a little bit about it? Is it on par with you know education? It, it really is, and we have um, we have a lot of the um, they're called Rio, and I don't they're the regional. Everything is regional when the state divided okay. up there, and we have regional directors for 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 these um, these various centers for 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 healthcare facilities. And really, the adoption of electronic medical records, the transmission of diagnostic information, which are huge files, obviously, is a real priority. So that's something that we really are tracking on a different level. We want universal broadband for the citizens, but we want you know high-speed connections, fiber connections for their healthcare facilities. Mm -hmm. So it is, and we actually have a, um, a session today at the summit that's talking about just that um, healthcare access to you know to broadband, connecting all the centers, and you know in rural areas, sometimes the only, the only way to get healthcare is through telemedicine efforts and, and remote medicine. Mm -hmm. Um, now let's bring in the um, the, the public safety uh, element. It's definitely an area that uh, I know that I need to talk about more on the show because we've been having over the last year a heavy focus on economic development. But um, but the, but the public safety factor is kind of huge, but it's also very complex. So we're um, fortunate enough today to have um, also as a guest with. David, uh, Robert uh, Legrand, who is the president and CEO of the Digital Decision, and I'm going to not steal any of his thunder and let him explain uh, his, his, his role and observations and so forth, but I want to be able to give our audience a view of what's happening with, uh, with, with public safety, and at some point, in case my mind leaves me, uh, make sure that we talk about... Um, you know how, say the the efforts toward public safety infrastructure building can be integrated with uh, other broadband initiatives. So again, there is some semblance of you know economy of scale and effort and and, and so forth. So Robert, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, thank you, Craig, for um, having me on the show, and it's really an honor to be here with you, and of course with David, who um, I've worked with in in recent years mm -hmm. um, here in New York State. Mm -hmm. um, we together um, put together one of the most complex governance and um, public safety applications for how to move to the next generation communications for mm -hmm. public safety, which is wireless communications here in New York State, and I'm really proud of the work that we did here. Um, we ultimately did not get the grant, but we, um, we really worked with the states and local in a collaborative mm -hmm. way that I, I really haven't seen throughout the rest of the country, and I'm hoping that mm -hmm. we will moving forward. Mm -hmm. um, just as a backdrop of what's going on in our country, last year, um, I'm actually proud of our country. I know we don't often hear people say that. <laughs> You know, during a legislative period in Washington, D.C., um, that was presidential politics and all was going on, our Congress actually passed um, a middle-class tax legislation. And in that legislation, our, our country invested $7 billion and 20 megahertz of radio frequency spectrum for public safety use throughout the entire country. It's, um, it's probably the single largest investment that we ever made. And frankly, we had to make that investment from a standpoint, and both Republicans and Democrats agreed alike um, in order to accomplish this. Um, we need to move public safety to um, a, a next generation communications capability, a capability that will allow for us to um, 
use devices and technology that involve video, voice, and data from out to our first responders. And that last piece of that is wireless communications to our first responders. Mm -hmm. Also included in that legislation was investments in next generation 9-11, I think up to $150 million of initial investment for next generation, which will allow our citizens to share voice, video, and data into our peace apps in the call centers and thus be able to have more intelligence and mm -hmm. their more and, and more optimized operations, which this is key, mm -hmm. to optimize our operations to better protect and serve our communities. So this is a, a, a really big deal. Um, it is a generational move on the part of the country to mm -hmm. move this to move public safety um, from traditional voice communications, which they are now, mm -hmm. to comprehensive communications. One of the questions you asked, which was a very insightful question, is how can we leverage our existing efforts on existing infrastructures? How can we leverage our existing um, investments in our existing infrastructures as a part of this new wireless communications? Mm -hmm. Embedded inside of the leg legislation was an investment to states to actually go through and do an assessment of their existing resources, mm -hmm. both the commercial and their state assets, because we've made a lot of investments over the years, and we're continuing, as you heard earlier, to make those investments today. Mm -hmm. So what I am very happy with is the approach is hopefully going to bring all of these things together, and out of that, we can come up with an optimized, efficient, cost-effective architecture that protects public safety, from public communications, and I'll talk about this in more detail in a second, mm -hmm. and the public from public safety communications. Mm -hmm. One of my central concerns moving forward in this comprehensive way is we have to be very careful because broadband is not infinite band. Okay? Mm -hmm. It has to be managed, and there's always going to be challenges for capacity. That's why when we go to baseball games or football games, we can't send a Facebook image until we get away from that sector because there's so many people trying to do the same oh, thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So imagine public safety sharing a network and having that same capacity problem in our future network and saying, well, we, it'd be great if we can get a picture of this criminal. But unfortunately, um, we're, we, are, we have capacity challenges. So it is important to bring all these things together, but it's also very important that we bring it together in a way that we ensure public safety gets the communication capacity that they need, and the public is not interrupted by public safety priority communications. So I'm really happy with being a part of this. My company offers services to states and locals to take them through a process. I had the pleasure of building and leading the um, the first ever private public safety network in Washington, D.C., where I was the former chief technology officer. Mm -hmm. And we implemented that network some years ago, and we provided services to the park police, the U.S. Secret Service, as well as our local first responders there. Mm -hmm. And there we proved out the benefits of broadband, mm -hmm. particularly when you deal with major events like the 4th of July and things like that, when you really have capacity challenges. Okay. One of the, uh, I guess, issues that comes up from a, uh, you know, looking at the big picture, which obviously, David, you're doing, um, is um, is the priority. And it was an interesting. Uh, I encourage uh, listeners, by the way, to uh, go back to yesterday's show uh, because there were a lot of issues brought up from uh, Julia from the National League of Cities perspective that really ties into a lot of what we're talking about today. One of those being, uh, you know, we talked about the fact that eight, nine years ago, um, when the Muni Wi-Fi craze kind of came and went, a lot of communities then rolled over their thinking and resources to look at wireless as a way to drive uh, public safety applications. 
And so a lot of communities at Portland, uh, Rhode Island comes to mind uh, because their wireless, their wireless network was really geared toward addressing public safety issues. Um, but, the, but the point that was made, up, made yesterday was um, it was easy to fund networks when you said public safety was going to be the cause because no matter come heck or high water, there was always money for public safety. Um, is that atmosphere still the same? Is there sort of a sense that um, if, if public safety is, is in, the, you know, in the forefront, that it is easier to get resources committed to that project? Or serious projects. Yeah, it's it's not always been the case, um, Craig. In that what we're what we've done, and just uh, Robert can answer that on more of a, a broader scale. But in New York State, a lot of the projects that we're funding, for example, we are including public safety in that and trying to integrate and coordinate all the resources and and lead on, on the state level some of those efforts. We have a project in Allegheny County, for example, uh, you know, uh, up up the, in the western part of the, out of the state that a project's going on, and they are trying to call or put all the resources together to actually public safety, but it hasn't always been that that way, and it's, it's, there's still challenges in that where there's separate efforts going on. We're still looking at dis- disparate networks in terms of you know serving certain sectors. So we have some some work to do still in that mm-hmm. regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I would only add to that that there has been some maturing of that um, from a um, an investment standpoint, certainly at the federal level, because one of the requirements in the legislation is that there's a sustainability model for the network. Mm-hmm. One of the problems with the muni networks that were out there before, it was a great idea, it had great I, you know, great sense of how we were going to do it, but how are we going to pay for it mm-hmm. um, on a long term was left off. And, right. Um, that's something that you, you know, in any government right now, we have got to make sure that there is a, um, even if there's not a return off a quote unquote dollar for dollar investment, you have a you have a way to operationalize the costs and cover the opex. Um, those. Those those times, um, I think, for public safety are, are are maturing in the sense that there needs to be, if nothing else, an allocation of dollars and an, an investment of dollars or, or movement of dollars in order to ensure the long-term viability of this network. Mm-hmm. Um, lastly, one of the things that um, we've moved to in public safety on a national level, and I participated in this process, is that public safety has um, set a standard, which is LTE, which you know from Verizon, AT&T, and the rest of these guys stands for long-term evolution. Um, And that technology, by public safety actually standardizing on that, gives them the benefit of leveraging the carrier technology and carrier investments, and that is um, more sustainable from one standpoint, that you'll have less, the devices will cost less because they're carrier devices that are similar that are out there that you can take advantage of, mm-hmm. versus being on, say, Wi-Fi or some other technology that isn't being invested in on a part of large carriers, and consequently public safety would have to pay more money for mm-hmm. it. So there's, there's been a maturing of the overall process, which I think will yield a much better result for public safety's wireless moving forward. Mm-hmm. Now, what about... Um uh, integra- integrating the uh, planning for um, <clears throat> other broadband issues. You, know, you talked about you know moving away from the silo funding approach, right? So looking at that as as an objective, then how does the you know the public safety and the telemedicine and the you know I don't know even the economic development applications or initiatives 
how do they get all integrated in some way to make sense? Going back again to the governor's um, regional concept in terms mm -hmm. of the regional councils, it really includes a mix of, of every single sector. We have, you know, medical center directors and at the local level we have, uh, you know, regional presidents of universities on, on, on the regional councils. We represent every single sector. We started with the broadband council with that same concept, but the regional council concept really took hold because of we're involving them at the local level. So each region has specific representatives that really represent each sector. And then pull in the state resources. For example, public safety in our state is the Division of Homeland Security. We include them in our discussions about broadband. They were, you know, consulting with us on, on the grants that we were delivering out there and working with them because they also have funding that's available through Governor Cuomo's uh, program for interoperable communication. So making sure we don't duplicate efforts, but also make sure that we leverage the networks that we're building with state money. Mm -hmm. So it's basically um, uh, leveraging the infrastructure that's built for one to address uh, the many. Exactly, exactly. And as Robert um, pointed out earlier, it, it's making sure that public safety has priority always, but recognizing also that some of that technology can be utilized for, for both purposes mm -hmm. and, you know, through the, the powers of technology, which, which mm -hmm. Robert's well, well, you know, very familiar with, we can actually separate that traffic and give mm -hmm. public safety priority without necessarily separating it entirely. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And this is, it's all about, to me, is minimizing the capital investment by leveraging um, the resources that you have, mm -hmm. but keeping in mind in the operationalization of these resources that you have these certain priorities that should be and need to be respected, and then, you know, by doing that, you'll lower the overall operating cost, and um, you'll actually have a, um, a you know, and, and, and in doing so, you achieve all the efforts that you're doing. But it is important that you brought up a really great question. Um, it was actually more of a statement. My wife does it to me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, yeah, statement. Not, yeah. But you're not gonna wear you're not gonna wear that tie with <laughs> that's, that's not a question. <laughs> but you guys are doing I think you you are you are doing this in an efficient way. Well university across universally or law across the country and I've mm -hmm. been across the country um and in fact in some places around the world on this subject, um there's not a lot of places that I think are as mature as New York State. Mm -hmm. You know, to, mm -hmm. to David's and the governors and the people who have worked before on this. To credit, and what I just heard today was just so outstanding on what, what you guys are doing here. Um, it is truly a regional approach because you have resources that are regionalized. They are assets that are in the ground, and it is local. And it, once you identify all those resources, you can come together and say, okay, this is the best use of these resources. It's going to ensure the best results, and as a result of the best results, also you can probably find the most efficient and cost-effective way of doing it. And I believe wholeheartedly in that approach because void of that, then we're just going to be building things on top of things, and we're not going to do anything well. Mm -hmm. Now, do you get into issues about um, security and, um, you know, it, it's really interesting. If I take it and step back for a little bit, um, public utilities, utilities in general, be they public or private, um, are finding a use for broadband in making the smart grid better, to making water systems better and so forth. But they seem to be insanely territorial about their network and not having the public be part of its network. Mm -hmm. I think that um, public safety has an image of having the same sort of territorialism uh, about their infrastructure. Added to that, the, you know, this general paranoia about, oh my God, it's wireless and is wireless safe and so forth. How do you deal with 
the territorialism. How do you get people to back down a little bit from that? I mean, you, David, from the planning side, and then maybe, uh, Robert, you can talk about you know what you see sort of across the board in other states as well. I think um, going back to that collaborative atmosphere that's established, some it's like there's a sense of basic sometimes you bring people together and then, then you you know it's not, and you start nurturing those relationships. We have a, um, a session today on smart grid technology. There's a lot of infrastructure, as you pointed out, Craig, mm-hmm. in the in the utility sector in terms of the you know smart grid deployment that is underutilized. It's just used for 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 the purposes of of, of this of smart grid, and we have connections in sometimes areas that aren't served. So it's bringing them into the discussion, into the, into the whole process, and including them in our discussions about planning as well. One of the efforts that we're doing that I'll just, just um, report real quickly is the uh, identif- identification of all the fiber assets in the state. We in the state cannot even identify what state agencies own in terms of fiber. And I would say that if once we light that map up and look at everything that's on, we may have almost all the problems solved already in there and just have to do some a few connections. But we haven't done a good job over the years because... We weren't, you know, looking at broadband 20 years ago in terms of identifying where they all are, and that includes the points that you mentioned, the smart grid um, mm-hmm. infrastructure that's out there, owned by other agencies, owned by, you know, within other sectors. So that's the first step in the process. I would agree with that. And in mm-hmm. fact, starting at your um, your latter point, um, you remember when we went through our exercise to do our grant, sure we had identified the existing assets states and locals could bring mm-hmm. to the table mm-hmm. to do a statewide nation, um, statewide public safety broadband network. The New York State has $90 million in assets that was going to be leveraged to build a, network, a wireless infrastructure on top of. Mm-hmm. If you add up all the state and locals, this was our estimate in 2009, you could only imagine what sure. it is. Today. And that did not include the industry. It did not include the commercial industry. That was just so state. $43 million? No, 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 $90 million in state and local assets wow. that are available to build on top of a, a, city, a statewide public safety broadband network. That was in our application. So that's just like fiber that people have. It's a combination of fiber, microwave, the whole and, thing. And other infrastructure. You're talking about tower locations, buildings, and things like that that you can use to build out a network. So that is, the, I mean, that's, that's the, back then, that was how much infrastructure that states and locals believe they had put in place that could be leveraged for, for doing it. So there was a huge investment. Your original question was kind of, was, 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 um, was on the security. And you also you had two questions in there. I believe the security, how mm-hmm. can you secure the network, mm-hmm. and oh by the way, how can you get over the the culture of yes, of, exactly. of insecurity? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that'll work. That'll work. <laughs> so, so on the first one, um, of course, you talk to any engineer, you can always say you can engineer security, you can engineer this, you can engineer that, and frankly, I don't disagree that in a lab you can you know you can do that. But when you're talking about access. I mean, there's a couple of levels of, of, of security. There's physical access, then there's virtual access, and there's, there's, there's application access. So you have all these different layers. And when you're talking about sharing a network or sharing resources with public safety, you, you really need to protect the interests of public safety because we have intelligence in there that if people find out what we know that are trying to protect us, it can make us more vulnerable. So you absolutely have to put those controls in place, and some of it is physical access. If you don't want necessarily to ensure that the public has access to a wireless network of a public safety, and you have to make sure that those constraints. And that's one of the that's going to be one of the challenges of any national broadband network that uses that shares those frequencies with potentially the public 
that you have to make sure that those, those things are secure. Um, but again, if, if you listen to the engineers, they're going to say, oh, well, of course we can do that. But if that was the case, then we, would, we wouldn't have cybersecurity right mm-hmm, now, right? Mm-hmm. So, because um, of course we shouldn't be able to let people in. Um, I think that the culture, at least in my experience of it, um, I, I liken um, public safety sometimes. Um, and I used to say this, I think I said this, uh, giving testimony on the Hill one time. I said, you know, if, if you look at a public safety guy and you say, hey, you know, or a person, I should say, at public safety, they've got that land mobile radio, right? That, mm-hmm. that, that radio that has worked, that has saved lives. Quite frankly, it's saving 100% of the lives that are out there right now for the most part as far as communications, right? That's the day-to-day communication, and they've come to rely on and Those networks are highly reliable because they have to be in order to save lives, okay? Um, and they, but they are. There's a culture that I'm not going to let that radio go because I've seen it save my life, my father's life, and my grandfather's life, and mm-hmm. my kid's life. And I'm I'm tied to it. And so the last thing you should do is to try to pull that radio out of hand, much like Charleston Heston trying no, to pull yeah. <laughs> my cold dead hand. Are you going to pull my rifle? I said, All right. But I always say his other hand is open. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what you do is you put a broadband device in there. You give that broadband device an opportunity for it to be introduced properly into the environment. Mm-hmm. And as a part of his use of it and her use of it, that we kind of start to look at this one like, okay, I can see video over here, I can talk over here, I can talk over here, I can talk over there, I can text over here, I can't text over. You start to do that, and eventually there'll be a transition of of an adoption. Mm-hmm. And for public safety folks and their operational environments and their very very good operational procedures because we live in a relatively safe society. I know crime mm-hmm. rates and things like that, but for the most part, we live in a relatively safe environment, and that's because we have such strong public safety in our country. Mm-hmm. So we want to be very careful about introducing things into that operational environment such that it really achieves the goal of, op- of optimizing those processes and not disabling those processes because then people actually lose their lives, which we don't want. Right. So it, to me, adoption, um, movement, um, cultural, um, cultural coming overcoming that cultural challenge has to be methodical. They, you know, you have to prove them. You have to walk through. You have to show them testing. You have to prove that it works. You let them test it out, and then you let them adopt it. And you have to be careful not to rush them because they have some very important things in their hands, which is the safety and security of our nation. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about the other point. Um, you know, that the National League of Cities looks at, which is the funding part. This is always, you know, the wailing and gnashing of teeth part of any discussion. Um, <clears throat> from the state perspective, uh, one, what are you seeing as the challenges locally? Like, what are the, what are the kinds of challenges that the communities are having, and then how do they get around those? And then, what kind of challenges does the state have? to provide funding, and how are you guys going to work around that after the stimulus is over? Sure. Well, through, through Connect New York, as far as the, the state goes, we funded a number of public safety, solely the public safety projects. One is the Development Authority of the North Country, which is, exists in our in our Adirondack region, and that was for a public safety network. The other, the other issue is just bringing public safety and all the sectors together, like I was talking about earlier. We took the, the $25 million that the governor committed for broadband, and we were able to to let the regional councils determine what those priorities were and also what community anchors are going to be served and what sectors are going to be served. In a lot of cases, that funding is also going specifically for public safety in those areas. Senator Betty Little, who was here this morning speaking, spoke about a, you know, a, a terrible incident that happened a number of years ago where an elderly couple, um, unfortunately, went off uh, the side of the road, um, had a cell phone on, on the husband's chest that was trying to call out, connected to cell, cell service in that area, and it was about 
uh, about 20 or 30 feet from our major uh, uh, you know, thoroughfare going through there, the Northway. The connectivity does save lives, especially when we talk about public safety. Healthcare certainly is, is part of that as well, but public safety is, is so critically important. And, and if I may, I, I do, on the issue of funding, I think it's very important to know one thing about public safety where we are. Um, our current communication systems are over what's called land mobile radio communications, LMR communications. Those were, and, and that's the primary and most critical communication tool of our first responders. That that, mm -hmm. that gun in Charleston has in hand that I talked about. Now broadband's coming, but the one thing that we have to be very careful when I'm talking to any legislators that may be out there who are looking at their current investment in LMR and they're maybe saying because broadband's coming, we don't need to invest in LMR. Mm -hmm. That's nothing can be further from the truth with regards to that. We still have to maintain these current networks until well into the num a number of years before any transition or convergence happens on the broadband. Mm -hmm. um, the reason why is that um, devices have to be built, networks have to be built out to the level of, this, of reliability that our current LMR networks are built out to, and they have to be tested and, like I said, have to be introduced and adapted into the environment. We cannot divest in those current communications because we will, in doing so, we will lessen our ability for our first responders to respond and put them and us at danger. Mm -hmm. So we have to maintain that investment while we're making this investment into our future. Mm -hmm. And that's a critical point. I just go back to Trey's question with, with the very important point that Robert raised in terms of the funding. We do have interoperability grants that our Division of Homeland Security are, mm -hmm. are, are also giving out to, to the areas to continue those efforts with, with, with LMR technology. Mm -hmm. At the same time, Working with us on some of the broadband grants and and building those parallel networks, um, you know, that are going to be broadband enabled and can enable data, video, uh, voice at the same time. Okay. Would would you see then maybe a strategy of using Homeland Security money since it will be there for a while? Um, and from a political perspective, it's almost you know it's kind of like public safety of ten years ago. You know, if you're doing Homeland Security, somebody seems to always be able to find money better or worse, but that's just, you know, one of those political realities. Do you, um, do you see uh, networks being planned, say, for uh, public safety or, say, maybe public safety becomes the lead app for development of infrastructure, but then the infrastructure then gets used for a number of different applications within the community. Yeah. Definitely, and that, that's where we're starting to see all that collaboration. Again, I know I keep going back to the councils, but every sector is represented on those councils, and every single regional council has the, the roots in the communities that they serve. Bringing them, bringing the, the sheriff's organization, all the public safety entities together, really includes them in the planning process, really. I would say every single grant in Connect New York has a public safety as public safety representation in terms of what it's going to be used for, and that's the that's the important piece is to get them on board early, to get them part of the planning process and included right. in the bill. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that um, in doing so, um, one of the things you do you have to do very well, and I'm sure David, you've done this a number of times already. As a part of that, it's just you know they they this is their own many ways their only source of capital to upgrade their systems. But if you can show them that not only can they upgrade their existing system, but they can also put in an infrastructure that they can leverage for even after a greater system later, later on, and while they're possibly sharing some of their resources, funding in order to do so, there's a re greater return off the investment, that's how you bring them in, and that's how you start to more effectively and, and more efficiently use all the resources. Mm -hmm. But as 
David said, the key is to respect the first responders and their missions as a part of that and make sure they can still see their mission, but also see their mission increased by partnering. Mm -hmm. Could you, um, you know, a thought occurs to me, um, because of the fact that public safety touches on preventative types of uh, activities, you know, how do you prevent danger, how do you monitor, so forth and so on. It also addresses responses, and part of those responses are uh, getting medical personnel out to respond to certain issues and so forth. Would it be wise to integrate um, a public safety plan with telehealth and telemedicine? with the same idea of, you know, using funds to build the one infrastructure but have the infrastructure do a dual purpose. And what that might look like is, um, you know, your, your first responders are linked in with emergency rooms and trauma centers and other hospitals both locally and even uses an opportunity to link with hospitals outside of the area, you know, in, in bigger cities and other states or whatever, so that... Um, in essence, it becomes one one thing, one one, yeah, one infrastructure. You're, you're, you're preaching the, yeah. the exact thing that we've been talking about. <laughs> okay. Exactly. No, def, definitely, right. That's very mm -hmm. important. And just speaking, stepping back a minute, as a as if I'm also in my my other life uh, an EMT, a first responder, and I oh, see wow. some of the technology that's okay. being underutilized because of the lack of access. Mm -hmm. There are machines that our paramedics use to actually, you know, capture patient information, vital signs, and so forth that really need to be transmitted to the hospital when you have a critical patient. And as soon as you go to a dead spot in New York State or a dead spot anywhere in the country that doesn't have broadband connections, you lose that connectivity mm -hmm. and you lose that ability to be able to use that information, the doctors using that information. So it's critically important that we share sector use of all technology, particularly broadband, and be able to share it. Think about the, uh, the communications between first responders and the medical side and police officers and you know, being able to just communicate back and forth and how mm -hmm. important that is. So it's, mm -hmm. it's really critical that we get everybody together when we're building that network, really going back to the earlier concept. Right. And I'll, I'll get to you in a, in a second, Robert. I want to get your, your, your views as well. But also I can see this. If we look at it from – if we look at these infrastructures, you know, you talked about moving away from the silo thing, right? So mm -hmm. if I look at education, right, because everyone thinks about education, we wire the schools. Right, but there are applications being developed that require the parents to be working with the students. And in general, schools work better when there's integration of effort between parents and the educators. Right, so you cannot think about broadband and wiring just to schools. You have to have it at home. The same way that I look at public safety, um, you know, if I can wire the home. But not only the homes, but also businesses, so that when there's a disaster, when there's a problem, whether it's flood, it's fire, whatever, that first responders can um, look into the business property to see where the dangers are, see where there might be chemicals hidden and so forth. Blueprints of the building, sure. Exactly. Now, I mean, we run into that, that line between what is, uh, you know, in the public good versus privacy concerns. Sure. But but as I, as I think these things through, it seems like... Um, if you look holistically, the solution that you come up with is going to be holistic as well. You know, we are looking yep. at, like for example, uh, example in, in Venetia, which is a city that I did some work for, and they wanted to have their business district, or their business um, industrial park wired, mm -hmm. but they didn't want to bother about residential. 
Santa Monica has a fiber network that the city owns, but it's targeted toward businesses, and they don't want to worry about the residential side. Mm -hmm. Sure. But uh, but as we go forward, it seems like if you're going to have, you know, if you're going to wire your education institutions, if you're going to wire your medical institutions, mm -hmm. if you're going to address public safety, you can no longer leave out businesses. You exactly. can't focus on right. residential right. and leave out business structures. I mean, that's right. So you can yeah. bring it in. And what we're talking about is just a maturity mm -hmm. in how we do this. So we're on this continuum, if you will, where we start out in silos because mm -hmm. we have the central thinking and these are requirements of right. whatever you're trying to implement. Mm -hmm. Now we're realizing that we can achieve more if we look at more. Now, with that, you still have to balance that whether or not we should do it and whether or not there's risk. Because, of mm -hmm. course, when you start to integrate these things together, there is some risk that's introduced. And the next thing you have to look at is how can you minimize or mitigate that risk. Mm -hmm. So I think as a whole, by regionalizing it, you're now able to look at it more holistically, come up with a comprehensive, efficient architecture, identify the risks, and mitigate those risks. And I think by going through that process, it'll yield the results that we're looking for. And mm -hmm. I think that overall, particularly here in New York State, you know, you guys are doing that. And it's it's only going to get better. We're mm -hmm. on that path. Mm -hmm. And as long as we're careful and respectful of the, 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 the folks who are running that, whether it's public or public safety or hospitals or whatever, and we make sure that they have the capacity and the, the need that their needs are met, then we're going to be able to do this in a very efficient way. But the good news is we're starting now to realize the benefits of doing that. Mm -hmm. Exactly true. I mean, going back to the, the funding um, question you asked earlier in the silos, you know, we go back to E-rate funding for the schools and the example you used. You, we do need to extend the service to the homes that we're doing homework after we're taking homework home. Parents, you know, in my kids' school, you know, just a little uh, waste them here. We only get report cards electronically. You, you communicate with teachers online. There's so many opportunities that require that home access that we really can't think in sectors anymore or silos. Mm -hmm. We've got to think about extending it. Public safety is where it can save lives. Education is where we can enhance lives and retain our students as well. So there's, mm -hmm. there's different, uh, you know, different benefits, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk about probably one of the more volatile aspects of this, which may not be as volatile in New York State as in some other states, but the politics of broadband. Like, not just sort of the community, you know, one sort of group versus another, but like political elected officials legislation. Um, to me, broadband is as Muni Wi-Fi was, I don't know, in, in 05, right? Every every mayor had to get on board with having a Muni Wi-Fi network, right? They may not have known what it was, but they were out there. They had to do it, right? And um, what that created, though, was a situation where if you started to talk to a community about municipal Wi-Fi, it became a political issue. Everybody wanted a piece of it. Everybody right. wanted their photo op with it, even though it hadn't even been developed yet. Right? It was in the planning stages. But then that would, could become, it did become problematic, right? Because politics would get in the way of planning. Sure. I see broadband today as a similar kind of thing where, especially now that Google has become involved and, and FC Chairman Janikowski on his way out, you know, issued this gigabit challenge. Now it's like a political thing. Everybody needs it for the, you know, for the for the brownie points and the electoral points. How do you, how do you dance that dance? <laughs> yeah, that, that that's difficult. We do have a couple of good examples in New York where we've really come together, and you know, credit to the to the regions again. Ontario County comes to mind, and the mm -hmm. CIO of Ontario, former CIO of Ontario County, is here at Hamager. He put together a hundred mile fiber ring 
throughout Ontario County, which was fantastic for economic development and brought everybody on board to really kind of bring all those municipalities to, together to, to create that. They're doing the same thing in Allegheny County, and we're looking at Otsego County. So it's happening all across the state. But it really hits your point, Craig, because there are so many elected officials that really want access for their communities and don't know how they really uh, yeah, go forward with that. If they don't have a provider that's interested, how do I get broadband access for my residents? And uh, that comes to mind because that's the, you know, they're not getting a response they want from the provider or not getting the interest, so let's build it ourselves. And I think what, what we've tried to do is sort of coalesce all those communities that are, that, are, that are trying to build their own networks, bring them together, and make them part of the larger plan, bringing mm -hmm. them on board to the regional councils, bringing them on board to some of these open access networks like Dank and Ontario County. Mm -hmm. And that's really the way we've been we've been doing it here, and, and it's, it's been successful thus far. So you've dodged some bullets then in that region. Yes, we have. Probably the only thing I'll add to that, and it's a really great point you made, Dave, is uh, I think same, when you bring up politics, you, you have to bring up lobbyists. When you bring mm -hmm. up lobbyists, you have to bring up um, corporate and private interests. Right? right. And those interests oftentimes are conflicting. <laughs> and uh, this is really a challenge for the legislators. And the legislators um, should, I believe, honestly, I'm not telling them how to do their job, but this is a, a very technical, a very um, business-oriented, and a very practical matter. And they really need to make sure that they have all of those folks present to help discern which one of those things are in the best interest of sure. the people that they represent. Because it's no longer a very simple issue is if you make this investment, you're going to have this result. You have multiple ways that you can make this investment, multiple ways it can be done. Some of it will have more of a corporate interest and less on, the, on your citizenship or the environment and vice versa. So consequently, because you're trying to maximize um, the benefits to all business development as well as your citizens, you're going to have to discern all of that complex information. And oh, by the way, very complex technology. Um, so I really, you know, really the onus is on those legislators to make sure that they have the staff and the consultants or whomever available to them in order to be able to help them discern what's the best path forward. Because mm -hmm. it is, by, by bringing all these entities together, you also bring together a number of different complexities and being able to discern the right answer is going to be very difficult. Right. Very good point. And prioritize those, yeah. those, those yeah. areas as well. So I need to get a, uh, a uh, Excedrin uh, <laughs> um License to sell here, and then I'll be in good shape. Right? There you go. Yeah, we've got a bottle for you too. Everybody, we need that. So, so what's um, what are your expectations uh, for the summit? I know we are halfway through at, yeah. at noon at this point, um, and there's more more sessions to be had later. But what's What's the goal of, of this? This is your first time at it. Too. It's the first time in the state, but we've had uh, regional summits. Um, Senator uh, Little, I spoke about earlier, has has had a summit in mm -hmm. Lake Placid, and Congressman Gibson has been a great supporter of ours as well, and he's had a number of summits as well. This is the first statewide summit, and really, it's to continue that momentum. It's not, like I was saying earlier, it sounds so basic, bring people together and then expect results to happen, but it's not as simple as that. But when you put people in the same room and they start talking, one session that comes to mind is the regulatory challenges um, that we already had this morning. I'm interested mm -hmm. to see how that turned out. We have the TSC in there, our Public Service Commission, um, is talking about some of those challenges. We have the Adirondack Park Agency, which we've heard as being, you know, a lot of barriers in building in the park. And just starting to talk about those issues. Nobody, no agency really wants to be an impediment to broadband growth. They, they are, they are well-intentioned. But sometimes those regulatory issues and then the challenges that are in place with them really come into play when you're building networks. 
So we're starting the discussion, to get back to, to your question about the sum, we're starting those discussions, those debates. It's not just a show and tell in terms of what we're, we're doing, it's also how do we solve some of those issues. Mm -hmm. We hear all the time that funding's not just the answer. If we had to break down some of these barriers, that could also expand access just as quickly. Mm -hmm. So all those discussions are going on. We have 20 sessions today throughout the day. Right. They're talking about those issues. We're going to hit broadband adoption with John Horgan, who I know you you know as mm -hmm. well in terms of uh, you know the work that they've been doing. NTIA is here to roll out their toolkit for adoption as well. Um, we're going to have Lieutenant Governor Duffy here later in the afternoon to close our session. So we've got a lot to go for the rest of the day, and we're hoping that this really starts a lot of partnerships in the right direction. Mm -hmm. So there's a, there's definitely a lot um, you know there's a lot going on. And, and again, keeping track of it all has got to be a real um, humdinger. <laughs> you know, it doesn't uh, it doesn't really ever um, end. How receptive do you think local um, governments are to trying to streamline their regulatory? Um, mainly permitting is, is is sort of the big one. I mean, mm -hmm. Google brought this up as why. They're not in certain states because sure. of the permitting issues and all that other kind of stuff. But how, how how receptive are the locals to making changes? They are very receptive, and they're also, in terms of the state, the Department of Transportation, in terms of you know potentially having a dig once policy and looking at some of the transportation projects. The governor has, has got an infrastructure plan to really rebuild a lot of the roads and bridges in the state. And coordinating those efforts with laying conduit and making sure that the fiber is in place while those projects are going on are a key part of that initiative to make sure that we're not, you know, spending spending money, state money particularly, in areas that we could already lay the fiber and do that work beforehand. Mm -hmm. So the locals have been very, uh, very receptive in terms of the regional council um, dialogue that's been going on. And one of the recommendations you'll see in our annual report this year is actually to streamline those processes uh -huh. so we get things okay. started quicker to look at some of the, you know, the, the big ones policies that are, are working in so many other states and seeing how we can apply it here, where it makes sense. It doesn't always, you know, you don't always need fiber in places, obviously, but let's look at those areas where we already have the, you know, the, the, the conduit already in place. Let's put it down there then. Mm -hmm. So we got about a little over two minutes, um, one minute for each of you. Uh, what does New York do next to keep the momentum that they've built going forward? So we'll start with you, Robert, and then we'll close Great. with you, Dave. But a minute now, a minute. One minute. Okay. <laughs> All done. Um, so uh, I would say uh, New York has made solid investments in the way that the state is looking at it. It's understood some of the things in the past that mm -hmm. it's done um, probably in a, you know inefficiently, and that doesn't that's not a criticism in anyone who was here in the past. And they're optimizing their process, like Dave just mentioned. Um, we're checking to see if we're building something over here that we can build something here, mm -hmm. right? And those are, that's a maturing, that's an optimization of their internal operations and processes that are going to yield better results. Mm -hmm. I think um, if you take that thinking and you apply it across the board where you have these different um, interests um, and the opportunity to, to, to leverage comprehensive investment, you'll get comprehensive you know, comprehensive results, mm -hmm. and you'll have a benefit to all. I think as, as it relates to public safety, I think that they have to go yeah, like 30 seconds. A methodical process. <laughs> you need to go through a methodical process to know when you're going to partner with the federal government that you have, because um, there's a process you have to do. I'll right. talk about that in my session. So okay. go through that process to make sure that it's following the engineering process. David, go. Okay. You got a minute. My wife already said I talked too long. So I'm going to get down <laughs> over here. But in 
continue the momentum, Craig? I know that that was the question there. We want to continue the dialogue. We want to actually see results. About 75% of Connect New York projects are scheduled to complete within 12 months. So by the time, this time next year, we hope to have a lot of results to be reporting on Connect New York and to continue this type of environment with individual meetings with all, all the parties that we're talking about today. Excellent. Well, gentlemen, thank you both very, very much for being my guest today and uh, explaining all the ins and outs of what's going on here in New York. Uh, to my audience, and uh, I'll definitely be keeping in touch, and we'll talk again for sure. Thank, thank you. you. It was a pleasure. Glad to be here, Craig. Thank you. And thank for you. our audience, thank you very much for uh, joining us. Next week, I'll be in Pittsburgh, um, and uh, they're having a similar kind of broadband summit there as they finish a, finish a major middle-mile project covering the uh, uh, the western region of the state. So you want to tune in there as we figure out what's going on in Pennsylvania. So have a great day. We'll talk again soon.